I like those podcasts where they kind of almost catch the podcast, the hosts talking, talking before, before they start. Me too. We should get to that point because yeah. that might help us lead into this stuff. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the word for the day? Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation at 11,000 feet. With your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome to the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you adventures, books, and conversations, your ABCs from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Hi, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing today? Doing well. Good. So, Christopher, what have you been up to lately? I've been off... Guess what? I've been having adventures, Stacy. Awesome. <laughs> Let's hear all about them. There's always a new adventure in the Eastern Sierra. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, Mono County is a pretty big county. I forget how many miles off the top of my head from one end to the other, but from Benton to Colville is quite a drive. Yeah, yes, probably a good 60 miles from Benton to Colville and then another 90 miles from Mammoth to Colville. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I was out visiting branches last week and man drive, drove right into some really killer thunderstorms. And I wanted to ask you about that because, okay. you know... I lived on the East Coast for many, many years where summertime thunderstorms just come in and they soak you every other day and they're really hot and disgusting and I was so glad to be getting away from them. So why are there massive thunderstorms and downpours here, Stace? So you did not escape the the huge thunderstorms, but they're so beautiful and they're such a great relief yeah. in, in the summer times. And we do get them every year right around mid, starting about mid to the end of July, okay. on and off through August, maybe even into September, depending on how hot it is. And they're really a scientific phenomenon. So we live in the mountains and unstable conditions are required for these thunderstorms and lightning storms to occur. Well, we're a little unstable ourselves sometimes. We, so <laughs> That is a good way to describe us for sure. Um, so Basically, these storms occur when the atmospheric environment is warm enough. It's got to be mm -hmm. warm enough, and especially the ground has to be warm enough. Okay. And then you have the tops of the mountains, which are cooler. So all that cool air kind of rises up, and we get these clouds, big cumulus mm -hmm. clouds. And when they get full enough, we get these rain and thunder showers. So what I, I will say, they were stunning, like visually stunning is one thing. I was driving up towards Mono Lake, towards Levining, and actually needed to take the turn off just before, just south mm -hmm. of Mono Lake to head over to Benton. Mm -hmm. It's it's Highway 120 20. if you're looking this up online. And it is a scenic route of its own because there's these massive vistas across the county yes. and the Storm clouds were just amazing, you know, just really tall thunderheads, mm -hmm. lightning coming down, which made it even more dramatic, you know, and I know lightning is 
kind of a scary thing around here. Yeah. So you definitely want the lightning to come when it's raining. Right. And when the rain is coming and when it's wet, because that's the lightning when it's dry is the source of many of our fires. And for those of you who don't live in California, we've had horrible wildfires these last few years. Right. And that is many times a factor of the wind and power lines or lightning strikes. Yeah. It was, I'm glad to know that there wasn't any major fires that came from last week's storm, but I will tell you it was, it smelled so great. I cracked the windows on the car as much Mm -hmm. as I could without having the inside of the car get soaked with water. Um, But you know, wet sage, wet bitter brush, whatever else just comes out of that soil when it's wet. It just, the smell is amazing. Someone should bottle that. It's so true. I had the same experience driving back from Colville one day uh, Mm -hmm. last week when we had a storm like that and the lemon sage. Mm. Oh, it just, it, just cleans your sinuses out. It's just beautiful. It's a great, great fragrance. And it, it does, it cools everything down. And you know, I live in Crowley, which is just out of town, about a thousand feet elevation below mm-hmm. Mammoth. And it gets warm down there. Right. And when these storms come, it's like a big celebration because it's going to cool everything off and (laughs) we'll be able to sleep at night without our fans on. And I will say that's the difference, I think, between these thunderstorms and what I experienced on the East Coast, where the storms are often very humid and they don't cool the air off. They just make it more wet (laughs) and more clingy. and, And yeah, more brings that humidity even more. I remember that growing up in Chicago, that humid... Uh, we still got more coming up. We'll chat about some, some interesting author coming up, so stay tuned. Welcome back. So today, for our book conversation, the B part of our show, Yay! We're, we had decided to talk about John Krakauer and his body of work, such as it is, because it's quite large, and... Over the weekend, I noticed there was an article that came across on CNN that talked about a woman from Belarus who's on her honeymoon drowned while trying to cross Lake Wentatika in the Denali National Park. And she was trying to get to the abandoned bus that Chris McCandless had lived in that Krakauer profiled in the Into the Wild novel. I know. Isn't that amazing? What weird timing. It's interesting because I think in that article they mentioned that she's not the first that has attempted and died trying to get to this bus. It's so, it's, that was so crazy to me. And I think the article said like 17 other people have died. Yeah. In the years since, since he wrote that book and since it became famous and then the movie and all that stuff. So Stace, just for those probably three listeners out there who (laughs) don't know the book or the story. Can you tell a little bit about what that is? So Into the Wild is Krakauer's profile of this young man, Christopher McCandless, who kind of gave up on his very, um, you know, very cushy life Mm -hmm. and gave up all of his possessions and decided to go into the wild. And eventually he decided that he was going to go into in Alaska and live off the land. He kept a journal. Unfortunately, he starved to death and, um, and Krakauer who was quite the adventurer himself 
decide he pro first he profiled McCandless in an article for Outside Magazine, right? And then went back and decided he hadn't really done it justice, and he was going to um, explore this a little further. And ironically, I think. If I remember that part of the story correctly, McCandless did try to hike out, but it encountered that same water mm-hmm. barrier that these other people have faced and died trying to cross. And he turned around and went back to the bus. bus right. And where? And then he ended up... So I, in my research for our conversation today... Um, I read one article that opined that he had eaten uh, poisonous mushrooms and had done so over so many days Mm -hmm. thinking these were nutritious and it eventually caused him to starve. Yeah, it's a really unfortunate story, but also a compelling one. That book was really, really popular when it came out. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, we wondered for a little bit, was every novel Krakauer going to write be started with the word into? Because his, I believe, I'm not sure of the order, but I think it was his next book was Into Thin Air. Correct. Which was about the um, expedition, the hiking expedition um, up, I can't remember the name of the mountain. Mount Everest, of course. (laughs) That's all right. There's a gazillion mountains. Well, I was was thinking, was it Kilimanjaro? (laughs) Escape me for a minute. Um, And he profiled that expedition. He was also hired by Outside Magazine to go and check out uh, Kilimanjaro and see if they hadn't been over climbing it. Right, right. Which even back then, which was. 80s, 90s, when he was yeah. when he was really kind of starting to write and mm-hmm. do a lot of magazine articles for outdoors for other magazines, and then um, started compiling books and doing more full research mm-hmm. in the 90s um, to do these nonfiction books. Even then, overcrowding of wilderness was becoming a problem because yeah. I read a few of his Absolutely. articles on that as well. And the the year that he ended up going, I believe, it was 96. Mm-hmm. There ended up being lots of deaths yeah. on Kilimanjaro. In fact, even on the the particular hike or climb that Krakauer was on for the magazine, he made it to the top and made it down. But the rest of the group encountered a storm on the way down, and the guides didn't make it. Yeah, that's so, so sad. But it speaks to motivation and mm-hmm. what causes someone to want to go see something and then climb it. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> right? Well, Krakauer, they, in, in the research that, that I read about him, s- said that he had been mountaineering since he was eight years old. I love this. I actually have um, a quote from one of his early uh, collections. I read his, in preparation for this mm-hmm. conversation, I read his first collection, which came out, I think, the very beginning of the 1990s called Iger Dreams. Um, and it really is just a collection of magazine articles that, that were put together that he'd written primarily during the 80s. And uh, he does talk about, you know, where he first got the love of hiking yeah. or mountain climbing. He was eight years old. Mm-hmm. 
his father, um, who was kind of, you know, a really rigid parent, wanted to instill responsibility in, in his kids, bought him a hiking axe, an eight-year-old, a hiking <laughs> axe. And he went out and, and, and tried it. And the way he said, I'll just read his quote because it, it speaks millions. In retrospect, I can't imagine what the old man was thinking. If he had given me a Harley and a membership to Hell's Angels, he couldn't have sabotaged his <laughs> It, you know, his paternal aspirations any more effectively. I spent eight years after college employed as an itinerant co- carpenter and commercial fisherman in Colorado, Seattle, and Alaska, living in studio apartments with cinder block walls, driving a hundred dollar car, working just enough to make rent and fund the next climbing trip. I love it. And it's, I mean, anyone, <laughs> we can walk out in the street and probably pick three people I, off the sidewalk and they would say something very similar. I was, I was just going to say, I know so many people who live here who right. work to fund their next climb or their next hike or their trip to the backcountry, whatever, whatever it may be. But that so resonates with the tone of people who live in Mono County. So if you're, um, if you are a climber and you're listening to us, you probably have already read a lot of Crack Hour. Yes. But if you're not so familiar with his work, apart from his two his his major works, and you'll talk a little bit more about the more of those in a minute, I do recommend this collection called Iger Dreams, um, his earliest collection, as kind of an introduction to him, what motivates him, and how he got started. And I'm not a climber myself. I am in awe of people who just see a sheer rock face and they see a path to the top, and I see something that should be avoided, you know, and. I- he talks about this a lot. And he also, you know, because he was writing magazine articles, mm-hmm. I think he, part of his motivation as well was to instill responsibility in other people who are attempting to say, he didn't want to create, you know, people who would just go out and try things that they're not prepared to do. I, I think you're right. And I think that's why Into Thin Air became a book. Right. Because he wanted to explore the topic a little more and especially the angle, from the angle of, being responsible when you travel, when you go to some place and you're going to climb a mountain, you need to respect that terrain. Yeah, exactly. So in his essays, I'll, I'll I'll mention a few really quickly. Um, the first one that he kicks it off with is the essay is called Iger Dreams and Iger, the Iger Wald, or I forget what it's called, War Warland. It's, it's a term for a mountain face, and Iger is a mountain in the Bernese Alps. The Grindelwald, the Wald, okay, that's the word, that really just has this form, forbidding face that for a long time people didn't think could be climbed, and then a few people started to be able to do it, and then it was like, well, what's the best rate, and you know, how do you get through the ice and all this stuff? And he just describes a very harrowing experience of trying to get up this multiple times, um, before he finally does it. And, um, you know, I, the takeaway I got from that article is that, you know, there are times when something just becomes too difficult or too life-threatening and you shouldn't be intimidated by people who can do it better than you. If you don't think you can get over it, he actually steps back from trying to do it on the first try. The one thing that strikes me about crack hour and, makes me admire him so much Mm -hmm. is that he is not afraid to say the unpopular thing or take on controversial subjects. I mean, he wrote about Pat Tillman's death. He wrote about Greg Mortensen, three cups of tea. You know, he wrote a whole book about how that 
really wasn't true or Called didn't. Three was, Cups of Deceit, I think, is I was think so. Krakauer's yes, title. Yeah. Right. And, you know, really challenged that. Um, so, you know, even these two books that we've been discussing, Into the Wild and Into Thin Air, he really challenged the common perception. He, you're right. He wasn't afraid to take it on. And, and we were talking about this pretty much every book of this nature that he's written has been controversial in some way. Um, the latest book, Missoula, which came out a couple years ago, dealing with sexual assault on campuses, was certainly not something that was just going to be a walk in the park. No, and couldn't have been hard to write no. either. So I really admire that he sticks his neck out there and he is, you know, he researches his books with such meticulousness. Is that a word? <laughs> it is now. Okay. And he, you know, you cannot fault him for the level of research that he does. And I think that's what draws a lot of people into his nonfiction is that um, they know that he does his research. At the end of the day, whether they agree with it or come to right. a different conclusion or what have you, it's compelling to understand where he's coming from. He yeah. tells a very Absolutely. compelling story around very difficult things. So um, I'm really excited about his next book. Yeah, classic Krakauer essays on wilderness and risk, which comes out late October of 2019. So kind of going back to that format that he started with. It's a collection I, of essays, yeah. I can't wait, can't wait to read it. Yeah, so I don't think any of us can wait. The library will have it. You'll be able to find it at your local bookstore, which in the Eastern Sierra is Bookie Joint or Mono County. Spellbinder. Or Spellbinder and Bishop. The, the Mono Lake Committee and Levining will probably have this because it's an outsider, outside title. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he's a great writer and he's easy to read and often very entertaining. So, And it was um, really fun to revisit these books that I haven't read in a while. Great suggestion. So lots of fun. Okay, take a breath. We'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starve, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. Originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California, you can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Okay, welcome back to Oxygen Starved Podcast where we bring you your ABCs. And now we have the conversation part of our show. The C. The C. And we're very excited today to have Kathy Copeland joining us. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, Christopher. Kathy is a well-known resident in Mono County, longtime resident, influencer, cheerleader, All around happy person. (laughs) I like that. I was going to say, how's that for an intro? I like that. (laughs) And formally, she is the executive director for Disabled Sports Eastern Sierra. So that's where I think you're best known, probably. Formally, not meaning before or used to be, but formally meaning what I'm doing now. <laughs> yes. Yes, just, let's clarify yeah, that. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> right. I thought you just retired the, me. The, no, no, no. <laughs> the formal way that you're right. that you are known. So Kathy, share please share with us how did you get to Mono County? What's your adventure in getting here? Wow. Well, it was in the seventies. And um, while I had been an exchange student to South Africa, my parents had moved from back east. I grew up in Vermont 
to California. While you were away? Yeah, I think they were hiding from me. (laughs) Did they tell you? Yeah, they did tell me, but I found them. (laughs) That's not a small thing. Oh, by the way, we moved across the country. Exactly. And so um, I came out and visited them and uh, a couple of times. And one time I was over in Malibu and I was hitching back to um, Westlake Village where they lived. And um, the guy that picked me up was driving to Mammoth. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I had my dog with me. He had his dog with him. It was, of course, in a VW van. Of course. <laughs> what else is going to pick you up hitchhiking with a dog? And so we ended up in Mammoth. And um, it, it was funny because as we were coming up, it wasn't even called 203 then. I don't know what it was. The, the road the into road town. Into yeah. Um, his engine blew, as they do. <laughs> of course. Um, coming up hills, and it was when Caesars Gas Station was where, let's see, what's there now? It's kind of where 8050 is now. Um, And it had an outside lift. It didn't even have, like, a place inside. So there's an outside lift with a ladder on it. We camped out there until his van got fixed, and then he went back down south, and I stayed. (laughs) (laughs) Voila, I am here. That is an adventure. That's a long detour to Westlake. I mean, you still haven't made it, I I guess. No, no, I never did go back. (laughs) That is Now, was the gentleman who picked you up, that wasn't Jack? No, Your it wasn't. Was, no, okay, it wasn't. Right. That was Marvin. Okay. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> That's all I can remember. <laughs> We're so glad that Marvin brought you Me here. Me too. Oh my gosh, I would love for him to hear this and I could say, thank you, Marvin. Well, Marvin, you, if you're out there, yeah. <laughs> you made my life. <laughs> I'm curious though, like, you were in South Africa, you were in Vermont, you came out to Southern California, right? Beaches and all that. Mm-hmm. What was your impression of the area when you were first driving up in the van or maybe breaking down on the side of that road, looking around you? Well, it was such a relief to not be, for me, to not mm-hmm. be in Southern California. I really felt displaced. And to me, Westlake Village at that time was just being built. Mm. And it was, it reminded me, it's gorgeous now. Can right. I just say I love it? Um, but it reminded me of the little village that would be built around a Christmas tree. Right, you know, right. And everything was in its perfect place and everything was, uh, you know, the, right. the lake was made and everything. So when I got up here to Mammoth, uh, was like I could breathe deeply. <laughs> I was in the mountains again. Right. I had been brought up. I was a skier. Mm-hmm. I was a little mm-hmm. ski racer mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. um, that had been a big part of my life in Vermont. And um, so there was just this kinship with being back in the mountains and I felt home. Awesome. Yeah. As I, I think so many of us, when we right. do get here, when we arrive here, we do feel that connection that yeah. we're home. Yeah. Finally. And I never had the draw to the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, I still don't. I, I like to go down and, and play on the beaches right. and, um, you know, swim quickly in the waters. Sure that the shark is going to bite me, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and you know it's fun for a little vacation. Right. Right. But I. I'm the one that's drawn back to the mountains. A lot of the people I know that come here are from yeah. Southern California, and they eventually kind of get the draw back to the ocean, yeah. which I totally understand, but yeah. it's mine is here. That's awesome. I think yeah. we all did what you did, which is kind of like, oh, just exhale. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. in your space. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So disabled sports. Oh, 
How did that wonderful organization come about? Um, well, so my career here for most of my life was working at the mountain, mm-hmm. and I ended up running all of the children's ski programs at okay. all the different you know, June here. Oh my gosh. Main Lodge. Big job. Canyon Lodge. And Kids on skis. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> and snowboards. Right. And at the same time, I ran the adaptive program for the mountain. It was part of the ski school then. Right. And, oh man, kids were booming. We, I would yeah. do 600 kids at each lodge, you know, on a weekend. And then there would be 1,200 parents and nannies to go with the kids. And <laughs> it was like, wow. And after 29 years of working at the mountain, I took a break. I actually retired. And um, then I realized, and I became a massage therapist. I was out at Double Eagle with the blacks and had a great time. Double Eagle's in June Lake, right? Yeah, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. And I I did that part-time, just kind of re-catching my breath and getting out of that, you know, that pace yeah. of, of life. And, <laughs> and then I realized, uh-oh, I talk too much <laughs> and I have too much energy to be a massage therapist for too long. <laughs> I, I, I would start by riding my bike over to the spa mm-hmm. so that I could burn off a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so then I just t- thought, well, okay, what can I do next? And Really, when I had been running the adaptive program at the mountain, I had done a pretty poor job. Hadn't mm-hmm. thrown a lot of time and energy into it, and mm-hmm. and it showed. I mean, yeah. the kids program just blossomed and was nationally acclaimed and was really big and fabulous. And and the adaptive program was, oh my god, oh, what am I going to do with this person? And um, and so I made a proposal to the mountain to start a nonprofit and to separate the school from the ski school there. And Rusty was great, loved everything about it except for paying me, which when I, <laughs> when I think back of it, that really isn't what they could do with starting a nonprofit. But I was new in the, in the world of nonprofits. And so I gave myself eight months to raise some money and uh, my husband and I had been landscapers mm-hmm. in the summers because we worked winters sure. for the mountain. And so I thought, okay, I know all of these really cool, wealthy people who have these big homes and we take care of their yards. And um, I can ask 10 of them for $10,000 and I can start with $100,000. That would be great. Well, that was a pipe dream. <laughs> you know, because I, I didn't have a program. I'm just talking about this this vision that I have. And um, so I'd get $100 here and $200 there and $10 here. Mm -hmm. But eventually I got to my goal um, and started the program and it immediately exploded with with the mountain's help because the call center would, anytime anyone said special needs, paraplegic, handicapped, disabled, boom, they went, okay, let's... Let's put that phone call right over here right. to this office. We've got the place for you. So, um, and then word of mouth, and we did the first very first year we did over six hundred lessons, wow. and now we continually do thirty five hundred lessons. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, that's yeah. fabulous. So that was in two oh three that we started. So we're 
Uh, well into it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you have another vision. Yeah. Now. So I did it to myself again. I can't believe it. When I think back, I went, I'm doing it again. This thing that I think money is going to magically appear. <laughs> but um, now our initiative for the program is because we've done such wonderful work with wounded mm-hmm. warriors and they have uh, come back to us again and again saying how much we've changed their lives, how much we've moved them. You know, wives have said, wow, I see that twinkle in my husband's eye mm-hmm. again. And the kids are going, I've got my daddy back. You know, when they're up here, they just... They see, they see a glimpse of uh, the person that they loved. And, and so we went, okay, well, what are we going to do? We have to do something. We've got to step up to the plate and do more for these men and women. And so um, decided to build a center for these men and women to come and really reboot their lives and help them make that transition back into the civilian life, which is really the toughest part about being in the military is getting out of the military and then being part of the rest of the world because they're so into the fraternity of this great club that they're part of. They speak a different language. They wear different clothes. They're told when to eat. They're everything. Um, and so it's a hard transition. And so we're going to build this building. Uh, we've got the land. It's yeah. right next to the college. It's in collaboration with the college. And we're just so excited to be able to uh, think about really, really being uh, an instrumental part of, of helping to change lives. What an opportunity. You know, I'm curious to understand, how did you initially get that that connection with wounded warriors. I can see how it would logically did did warriors just start showing up for the for the for the adapted program or did you reach out? How did this We start? had um an old local mammoth guy, Terry Smutney, mm-hmm. roll down our hallway in his old red power wheelchair with his can of Mountain Dew that was laced and cigarettes and he was and he had this gray cloud over his head he was really angry and his his face was dark and and he had seen in one of the um, magazines this color photo of uh, one of our students arcing this carve mm-hmm. in a monoski with this beautiful spray of mm-hmm. snow coming off it and he, and he said, I, I want to do that. <laughs> we went, okay, let's take you out. We fit him up and we got him in the monoski. It's just for people whose lower extremities aren't working. And right. uh, took him out there and he loved it. He loved it. And, and bit by bit, he got really good at it. Bit by bit, he stopped self-medicating. He stopped drinking. Nice. He stopped smoking. He started standing up using a staff. Mm-hmm. He switched from an electric chair to a power chair. Mm. Wow. I yeah. can, I, I, this moves me every time sure. I tell this story because he was... Um, he was broken and you fixed him. <clears throat> yeah, he, it was life-changing. Yeah. It was really for, for him, for sure, right. but also for us. Yeah. We, right. we really saw... Um, what what we did, we the magic that we did. So he, fast forward, he became one of our instructors. He was helping oh, share great. this knowledge and this feeling with other people. And and he came to me and he said, and he was a um, a veteran. He was a veteran who had been um, in the in the Gulf War. Uh, he had been 
afflicted by sarin gas, which at mm. the time the, the country wasn't even admitting to using, let alone saying that they were responsible for fixing him for crying out loud. Right. So, um, but he said, he said, okay, look at what you've done to me, for me, with me. Let's share this with other wounded warriors. So <clears throat> we took his rattle trap old van that had hand controls and he, he drove us down to San Diego. <laughs> we went to Pendleton and Balboa Naval Medical mm-hmm. Hospital where he had some contacts and I had some contacts. And uh, that fall we had our first wounded warrior event with yeah. six wounded warriors coming up. Wow. And uh that was the beginning of being connected to men and women who had been in the military and their different special needs. And uh, this winter, we just had 60. You know, we've, that, that's grown amazing. yeah. amazingly. So that was Terry. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah. he, he passed on. Mm. Um but his legacy is this whole program. That's amazing. And it, it is amazing. And he worked a lot in the town as far as improving accessibility for different businesses. I mean, he helped um, get the adaptive um, and accessible dock down at Convict Lake. You'll see his name on that. Um, he was part of our Rotary Club. <clears throat> and uh, we did that with the Rotary Club yeah. down in in Bishop too. I love that. I have to say, you know, I grew up in the area and returning to Convict Lake after being away for 20 years Mm -hmm. and seeing what they did to make that beautiful, beautiful corner of the county. And it's done elsewhere as well. Mm accessible to people yeah. who couldn't just walk yeah. up the water like you or oh, I could I is amazing. And my dream, my vision, I've got to stop doing this, but <laughs> is to is to make that wonderful trail that Yeah. Yeah. Accessible. Accessible yeah. but not pave it. Keep it dirt. Right. Because we have hard pack here and mm-hmm. if it gets um if it gets pumicey or sandy, sandy, there's ways of putting things under that and a little right. la- layer on top of it so that it's still that natural feeling, you know, yeah. and and make it so that people in wheelchairs can get around. So I'm working, uh, my working. friend Ale- uh, um, Agnes, who uh, has that uh, CCC, uh, what's the name of her? Sorry, Agnes, I can't remember the name of your nonprofit, but she takes women out into the backcountry oh, and they rebuild the trails and they mm. did work down at Devil's Post Pile. Awesome. And yeah, she's got a fabulous thing going. And so we were talking about that nice. being another a, project. Yeah, a That's great awesome. vision. You heard great, it here. Yeah, yeah first. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kathy, we also. Uh, love to ask our guests what they're reading now. Oh, I am reading a fabulous book. I love Barbara Kingsolver mm-hmm. and it's the Prodigal Summer. Right. And uh, it's How far just, are you into it? It's I'm about three quarters of the okay. way through. You know, it's it's I am at the part of the book where when I really like a book I slow down. You know, I'm, <laughs> I rush, 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 rush. But then it's so good I want yes, it to last. I yeah. Know. So. I know. Uh, and so. Barbara Kingsolver is an excellent author. She writes really engaging characters and really engaging stories. Yeah, and she's always got some kind of twist that she's right. really researched yeah. into 
moths or butterflies right. or something in nature, coyotes. Yes. yes. And and she just brings that out it woven into the story just so magically. So I I really like this book. That yeah. is a very good Great. point. If you're at all an outdoors person, Barbara Kingsolver is a novelist you can relate to because Absolutely. she does write mm-hmm. really she, much about nature. And she does do that. She does yeah. kind of focus on a particular aspect yeah. of nature yeah. in right. all of her books yeah. to kind of teach us about right. that yeah. part. So we'll yeah. we'll put a link to that in our show notes. But Kathy, tell us where can we find you on social media? Well, we are um we we have a Facebook page. We have Instagram. Is that for disabled sports? For disabled Eastern sports Sierra? and for okay. National Wounded Warrior okay. Center. Great. Um, yeah. So we'll put those links on our show page. Oh, as well. that would be fabulous. Yeah, we'll share that out and and yeah, Definitely. make this billow out. We appreciate it very much. We appreciate you being here. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Oh, thank thank you, you, guys. This was fun. It is yeah, fun, right? Learning we'll about we'll, podcasts. We'll have you back. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> for the opening of the building. There you go, yeah. for sure. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, guys. Thanks. So thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode of Oxygen Starved. Uh, your ABCs at 11,000 feet above sea level. I hope you're all breathing comfortably. Um, if you'd like to take some time to rate us on Apple Podcasts, that's also where you can find us, or SoundCloud, or iHeartRadio, or I think just anywhere where people find podcasts these days, you can Google us. I know that. Yes. We've tried that, right? And if you take a few minutes to rate us and re- give us a review, that would really help our exposure for the show and help people find us more easily. And you can also find us on our webpage, which is uh, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. And, and our Instagram, Instagram, O2 starved. Zero two, no, O, o not zero. Not zero. O2 starved is our it. Instagram That's handle. Right. Is it called a handle? Well, that sounds I, good. <laughs> why not? <laughs> or, or you're a truck driver. <laughs> At any rate, thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Keep breathing and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.